This is Speaking Well. I'm your host, Greg Dickinson. This is the podcast about communication and everyday life. In each episode, we will talk with a communication expert and scholar and explore how communication research can provide resources for navigating complex interactions. We'll talk about relationships in politics, social media and film, public speaking, and private talk. In this podcast, we will offer straightforward but often challenging explorations about communication centrality to our lives. In this episode of Speaking Well, I welcome Nick Marks. Nick is an associate professor of film and media studies in the Department of Communication Studies, specializing in television studies, media industries, digital media, and American politics and culture. He is the author of three books, Sketch Comedy, Identity Reflexivity and American Television, The Comedy Studies Reader, and Saturday Night Live and American TV. He is currently writing about the rise and reign of comedy from the world of right-wing media. Nick, it's great to have you here. Thanks for taking time out of the end of the semester. What, what do you do here at Colorado State University? Thanks for having me, Greg. I'm really excited to be here. So I am an associate professor of film and media studies in the Department of Communication Studies. I've been here almost eight years now, primarily teaching classes in our uh, sort of media and film studies cluster. So I primarily teach uh, television, critical media theory, a couple of advanced seminars at the graduate level. And right now I'm teaching my absolute favorite class that I designed for senior capstone students in the department, uh, communicating with comedy. So we really sort of survey the various theoretical, philosophical understandings of comedy over the many, many centuries that communicative form has existed, and we apply those ideas to contemporary media texts. Well, that's exactly where I want to step into our conversation, Nick, is this notion of comedy and its communicative power. Uh, often in this podcast, we take on the things that are serious, say the uh, you know presidential inauguration, that sort of thing. But you want to talk about comedy. So tell us why we should pay attention to comedy. It's a great question and one I'm often asked when I sort of explain my uh, research agenda and the short answer to it is that uh, it, it's, exa it's exactly what you just described, Greg. We often want to talk about serious things in scholarly contexts, right? The sort of political deliberation of, uh, you know, current sort of news cycles, um, identity-based struggles, race, class, and gender-based uh, inequalities, and all of that stuff is extremely important, and I'm invested in it. However... Uh, comedy as a communicative form is nearly as old as human communication. It stretches all the way back to antiquity. Greek playwrights like Aristophanes are sort of known for uh, popularizing the, the, the form. It's stuck with us through various sort of cycles of human evolution. And so to shunt it off to the side as something secondary or less important than those serious arenas of deliberation, to me, seems to be missing a, a crucial aspect of who we are as human beings. Indeed, if you just kind of think about your everyday life, the extent to which humor and laughter structures your relationships, be they professional or friendships or, or familial, it's an extremely important part of who we are. 
So I'm drawn to that precisely because I, I love comedy. I love to laugh and, and make people laugh. But I also have a, you know, a tiny chip on my shoulder about how it's sort of been, you know, a second class citizen of sorts in the world of academia. The sort of parallel answer to that is where my research agenda sort of comes to the fore. And that's the explosion of comedic media that we've witnessed over the past 15 or 20 years, particularly as comedy relates to addresses issues of politics and electoral politics in the United States. So I'm of the age where my sort of political awakening happened uh, right after 9-11 and the sort of uh, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert-led strain of satire TV. And that was the way that I sort of engaged politically through the world was first through this lens of irony and satire. And my sense has been that that's an increasingly common thing, especially among young folks, that they sort of enter the world of politics with comedy as one of their primary frames. Of course, the other end of that explosion in comedic media is profit-driven. Companies like uh, Viacom and networks like Comedy Central and now our social media platforms have found it extremely financially lucrative to create comedic content as a way to reach out to especially young viewers, young listeners, and land them as an advertising demographic. There's a lot of richness in that answer, Nick. I'm thinking a lot about, as you talk, the long history, at least in Western literature, of using comedy to engage political questions and do that in a way that maybe escapes some of the constrictors that happens when you're a little bit more serious. But you also talked about the market component of this, uh, selling people through comedy, and I appreciate both of those pieces. You've really been working a lot lately on conservative media personalities and how they make use of comedy to support their political viewpoint. What are some of the characteristics of conservative comedy? That's a great question. The um, assumption, perhaps more widely held among certain types of folks than others, has long been that comedy is an inherently politically liberal and progressive project. There are a number of sort of contextualizing things I ought to sort of bring up to to qualify that, but I'll simply point back to the sort of last 20 years or so of um, satire TV led by folks like Jon Stewart and now Trevor Noah, John Oliver, Samantha Bee. We see these politically liberal figures on our TV screens often talking about, um, most recently, the Trump administration, the sort of inequalities and various, well, let's let's call them what they are, horrors that, that came out of those four years. But just as we weren't looking, we liberals, I'm, I'm lumping myself in with that broad group who identifies generally left of center. When we weren't looking, the uh, universe of right-wing media was sort of taking notes. They too were watching Jon Stewart in The Daily Show. They too were watching John Oliver on Last Week Tonight. And understanding that a comedic mode of address, sort of poking holes in your opponent's argument for humorous purposes can have powerful impacts as well. So to answer your question, Greg, weirdly enough, a lot of these right-wing comedians do the same thing that is likely familiar to many folks on the left. For instance, one of the most popular right-wing comedy figures right now is a Fox News host named Greg Gutfeld. He just began a weeknightly daily show-like uh, news and talk show. It's just like Jon Stewart and, and what Trevor Noah does now. It's a half-hour program 
weeknights at 11 Eastern, opens with a monologue followed by, you know, a panel of guests and usually like a, a comedy sketch or a remote piece mixed in there. In fact, um, Gutfeld, although he's the most sort of prominent of these right-wing media personalities um, to, to, to sort of take on the form of comedy, Fox News has had a recent history of aping Daily Show bits directly. So uh, one common thing that The Daily Show would often do is send a field correspondent like Jordan Klepper or Samantha Bee to the Republican National Convention and have him or her interview uh, you know, Republican policy makers and activists and sort of lampoon them that way. So this is a, a pretty familiar bit that we'll see on shows like The Daily Show. Well, in the last four or five years, so too have various Fox News personalities, be they avowed comedians like Jesse Waters or their more sort of run-of-the-mill news personalities. Uh, they've done the same thing. They'll go to the Democratic National Committee and interview, you know, Bernie bros or, or loony liberals and their, their sort of hard-on-sleeve politics about uh, whatever it is. Pick your, uh, pick your cause, abortion or gun rights or whatever it is. So the, the, the sort of form and function of right-wing comedy is not all that unfamiliar to folks who've been watching these left-leaning satire programs over the years. It's simply taking up a different political project and I, I'd be remiss if I, wouldn't, uh, if I didn't mention the sort of demographic component. Fox News has realized since the end of the Trump administration that it can no longer be a purely news-slash-opinion-based network. They're now trying to broaden their appeal into the realm of entertainment programming. So they're trying to sort of lighten the tone of several shows. They're trying to sort of integrate different genres into the mix of Fox News. And so comedy has become an extremely important play for how cable news networks like Fox News see them themselves sort of staying relevant into the next decade or so. I really want to follow up on the, this bit of the conversation. You're talking about adding comedy into Fox News and broaden f away from news toward entertainment. Is CNN doing this same sort of thing or the NBC News division? Or is this a more honest recognition from Fox that they've always been an entertainment network? Yeah, it's um, a little bit more of the latter. So before his passing Fox News chief, Roger Ailes said, we don't envision ourselves competing with CNBC, MSNBC, CNN. We are competing with the entertainment networks, ESPN, TNT, uh, folks like that. The the reason you don't see as much sort of entertainment-based or comedy programming on the cable news networks is because that niche is already filled by networks like Comedy Central, TBS. You know, there are half a dozen sort of left-leaning uh, comedy networks on television so that those two wouldn't necessarily have much overlap on a network like CNN, although CNN has certainly incorporated more entertainment stuff. They've got the Stanley Tucci travels uh, Italy show and they had Anthony Bourdain's travel show and things like that. But what Fox News is doing with its comedy programming, and there are a few other sort of right-wing outlets who've increasingly taken up comedy, uh, to be sort of purely crassly politically economic about it, is they are filling, identifying and filling a, a gap in the market. Here is something that this audience clearly wants that nobody else is making. So we are going to begin to experiment with this and, and serve this audience with a, a comedy product that uh, they're not getting 
from left-leaning media outlets. Uh, now, the assumption, again, has long been that, well, conservatives don't like comedy. There, there's nothing out there for them. There are no conservative comedians. Uh, if there were, we would we would have seen a success in that arena by now. But as my co-author and I uh, describe in our forthcoming book about the subject of right-wing comedy, that's simply not true. The, the assumption that folks who think conservatively, who vote Republican, uh, they don't have some sort of different genetic makeup as folks on the left. They don't have necessarily some radically different set of psychological proclivities. They like to laugh just as much as folks on the left do. What's happening in the media world, if we kind of consider what's on screen in television and podcasting and how media industries operate, it's a financial play first and then a, a political gesture second. So I, I, I don't ever imagine this to be a, a sort of um, comprehensive overarching political goal of the right to sort of use comedy in uh, nefarious ways. Uh, I view it first as a ploy for them to uh, make money and maintain eyeballs uh, watching their various media outlets. Yeah, th thanks for following up on that and continue to help us think about how media offers us those things that they think they can sell us. Um, and that's an important part of how the media works. I want to shift now to kind of thinking a little bit about humor in the current moment. We, you know, we live in heavy times, pandemic, efforts for racial justice spurred by ongoing state-sanctioned violence against people of color. We've seen more of that just the last couple of days. Recent mass shootings in Atlanta, just south of us in Boulder. Is there a role for comedy in times like these? And if so, what is that role? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I'll uh, first qualify my answer by saying, I don't know. <laughs> I, I am not the authority on what comedy should or should not be doing in uh, heavy times. I will say that uh, comedy has uh, and should continue to play a sort of ameliorative role. It, sh it should help us feel better. It should relieve pressure, stress. It should be an outlet um, uh, to um, spaces for human interaction that aren't burdened by tragedy and, and heaviness and sadness. Now, I, I, I will admit that my, my thinking on the sort of, um, you know, political potential of comedy has evolved over the years. As I mentioned, I was deeply invested in the project of um, ironic comedians like Jon Stewart sort of being at the front lines of political change over the course of the, the 2000s. Um, but my, my thinking on that has, has shifted a little bit as we've sort of moved you know, 20 years beyond 9-11, and we've had a good two decades of these cycles of comedy sort of continually flitting across our social media feeds and, and, and television screens and things not maybe getting as, uh, you know, not improving as much as uh, many folks would like them to, certainly in the realm of income inequality, in the disparities between race and gendered pay gaps and race, racial justice and, and, and police violence, right? Um, I don't see comedy as being at the, the sort of vanguard of leading social change. I see it kind of playing a secondary role. Where I do see the real sort of uh, arena of social change happening is uh, first in uh, labor, in, in folks organizing, in the efforts that you saw 
in uh, Bessemer, Alabama, where folks are trying to organize uh, Amazon warehouses, and in uh, efforts for gendered and, and racial justice, like we're seeing in the sort of wake of the many horrible, tragic uh, police shootings that have kind of uh, you know come to mainstream attention again last summer, but are now continuing through the Derek Chauvin trial and, and its attendant fallout. Well, you, you point to how important multiple modes of communication are as we live a full and rich lives, lives that engage social justice while also needing an opportunity to let down and take a break sometimes as well. And that leads me to my last question for you, Nick. What, what are two or three kind of daily life takeaways you can offer to our listeners about comedy? Uh, at the uh, risk of sounding like a, a sign that my mother would buy at home goods or something, uh, you know, la- laugh every day. I, I know it's it, it seems like these are the heaviest times that we've been through, but I, I know, Greg, you, you've shared various sentiments um, along these lines before that this what we're living through now is not entirely without precedent. It, it may uh, change, the, the characters uh, may change, the types of, of, of tragedy may sort of change, but uh, remember that we as humans are resilient and laughter and comedy is, is part of that resilience. The, the ability to sort of find humor even in uh, tragedy, I think is extremely important for us. Um, the second thing that I would mention as a takeaway about comedy is what I was uh, referencing earlier. Comedies are not, uh, comedians rather, are not our superheroes. I, I, I don't want to encourage people to continue to look to the uh, John Olivers and Samantha Bees and John Stewart's of the world as solving our material problems. And I mean that word material um, quite literally, right? Like the, the bodies of people being gunned down and the sort of uh, wage inequities that we see uh, keep continuing to, to grow in distance. Comedians can help provide a start. They can, they can provide a sort of discursive toolkit for understanding our material conditions, but they don't provide the tools to, to change those. Only human beings do. Only we do, especially those of us outside of, um, you know, multi-billionaire classes, right? Um, so don't think that your sort of social struggle begins and ends with a, a chuckle at last week tonight. Know that it's just beginning when you engage in a, a, a piece of comedy like that. Great couple of uh, pieces of advice for us, a way to think. that That notion that we need to take pleasure... What that could be laughter or attention to beauty or um, what whatever is is crucial regardless of what's happening in our life and then and then not to give um, comedians uh, the the role of saving the world that, that's super helpful. This has been pleasurable for me, uh, Nick. So this is maybe this is my little bit of laughter for the day. So thank thank you for giving me that opportunity and thanks for joining us and uh, thanks so much. Speaking Well is a production of the Department of Communication Studies and the College of Liberal Arts at Colorado State University. Carol Bush as the producer and the podcast is recorded and engineered at the studios of KCSU at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Greg Dickinson. Until next time, be well.